Before we begin today's show, you know him, you love him. And in a new show, Stephen A. Smith goes beyond the headlines to unlock a unique world of hot takes, one-of-a-kind segments, and can't-miss interviews. Stream all this and more on Stephen A.'s World, exclusively available on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. And remember, you can also tune into The Jump weekdays at 3 Eastern on ESPN or check out The Jump's podcast where you can listen to exclusive podcast-only content wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA. Different style show coming up on this episode. Um, a little later on, we're going to hear from my friend and the longtime Vanity Fair writer, Lisa Robinson. And you may say, why was Brian going to talk to a writer from Vanity Fair who's covered music for 40 years? Just hang with me for Lisa Robinson. Um, but joining us now is our good friend, Shanae Gumake. Uh, boy, let's go over the things that Shanae is. Shanae, your resume is, is getting longer. Um, <laughs> she's joining us from LA. Okay, she she co-hosts uh, the afternoon radio show with Shanae and Golik, Golik, Mike Golik Jr. Um, on ESPN Radio. She's the co-host of ESPN's new First Take, Her Take podcast alongside Charlie Arnott and uh, Kimberly Martin. You, could, you can download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or where you're listening to this podcast. And she just let everybody know last week that she's now going to be the executive producer of a documentary on the 2020 WNBA bubble, also known as the Wubble. Uh, <laughs> Janae, gosh, good gosh. Amazing. It- it's been a minute, but most importantly, you know what my number one passion is, what's not on the list, um, British, English, period films. And I'm most <laughs> notably the first person that watched Bridgerton as it came yes. out on December 25th. And, and yeah, so I felt like you, you'd enjoy that considering yes. you, you like that genre as well. Yes, I've wa- I haven't watched all of it, but I've watched quite a bit of it. Good. Um, I love British television just in general. Uh, Zach Lowe and I are well, we're not even closeted. We're well-known British baking, <laughs> British baking show fans. And um, the the guy who just won it, you know, they had a bubble. The British baking show had a bubble, Chenay, uh last summer. And the guy who won it oh, wow. uh, is this kid named Peter from Scotland. He is a big NBA fan. And in fact, makes baked goods in the form of NBA jerseys. Wow. So... <laughs> At some point, if this season ever slows down, Zach and I are going to try to get him on a podcast. So, oh, my gosh. I will be the first one to listen to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, the NBA season is proceeding along. And one of the things that, you know, we're seeing here, we're, so we're getting to the 15-plus game mark. And uh, historically, even though this is an unusual season for sure, this is when we start to put down roots and form opinions on what's going on in the league. And um, one of the things that is putting down roots is how fantastic uh, Joel Embiid has been for the Philly 76ers. Um, And I don't think that you, you know, people are saying, well, he's the MVP of the uh, season so far. I mean, there's just a ridiculously long way to go. But one of the things I will tell you is that the NBA, the MVP race is often shaped in the first 15 to 20 games of the season. It it often sort of sets up what the chase is going to be. 
And there is no question that he is setting up uh, Cheney to be a serious contender for the way he's playing and the way the Sixers, who have taken over the best record in the uh, Eastern Conference at 12 and 5. This is the best season Joel has had. Just to, to give you stats before I go to you, he's averaging a career high 28 points a game. He's shooting a career high 50, uh, what is this? 55% from the field. That's 8% better than uh, than last season. He's averaging a career high 1.3 uh, steals a game. He's uh, still averaging 12 rebounds, a little down from where he's been. Uh, he's, he has had higher years, but uh, in doing it in fewer, you know, in fewer minutes that he's, you know, he's had to play in in years past where he's, they've really relied on him. Chenay Joel has just been spectacular so far. Absolutely. And I see it sort of happening, this evolution in two ways. So you mentioned that I'm currently in Los Angeles. That's one of my homes. But you guys know my real home home is Houston, Texas. And following the saga of James Harden and basically the ties that potentially could have binded him to a new team. We all see it's Brooklyn now, but Philly was in the mix. And I feel like subliminally, we all sort of figured out the direction that this franchise was moving based on who was not linked to the conversations with James. And I think there's been this tug of war the last few years because you have these two budding stars that are very, very, you know, strong personalities, but like extremely competitive and they're young relative to the stars of the NBA. You think about the Warriors, you think about LeBron, like these are the new guys that are super talented, but now they have to figure out how their personalities mesh together. And so, you know, in those conversations with the potential of the trade, especially given like Daryl Moore and all that type of stuff, you never really heard Embiid. You you heard it was Ben Simmons possibly, or like the conversations. We don't know what that is. And to me, that implicitly showed, okay, now they've made it clear. This is their guy. Joel Embiid is the guy that they sort of have the framework moving forward from. And I think this year has really shown how he has delivered. And I guess the second part to that is literally, Brian, like the maturation of this team. Again, they're young, but it's like no longer, it took, was it, it's been a year or so since he's been removed to like trolling people seriously on Twitter and all of that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, although I'm not saying that's <laughs> over. Uh, it's not I don't over. It. <laughs> it's not over, but I, he, he picks and chooses his battles. And it's not just on social media and just who he claims to be, but it's now like you're seeing him mature and evolve on the floor as well. And so you have these two things, dynamics at play, the franchise now knowing who their centerpiece is. And so now everyone can sort of operate a little bit better. You don't have to have the pressure of Ben Simmons going off and leading the team and scoring. You can get him giving you 15 to 18 points per game his way, whether it's rebounding and pushing and transition, easy buckets, all that type of stuff. But the centerpiece is Joel, and it's just been amazing to see for this guy. And, you know, I know this a little differently just because, like, being a bigger player in the WNBA and – dealing with injuries and like how they linger. It takes a while for you to understand your body. And, you know, you remember those first few years with Joel, he'd be like, I always say his first sport was volleyball. A lot of people, you know, footy, football, but volleyball was one of the first sports he played. That's why you saw him like time those blocks and pin them and jump and leap. Now you're sort of realizing, okay, maybe I don't have to do that every possession, but let me pick and choose my battles and pick and choose my moments. And he's doing that masterfully to start the season. We've seen this in pockets, Brian, but we haven't really seen it like consistently dominant. And also just, he seems so self-assured in himself. And um, it, it's been fun to watch the Sixers team sort of now, it seems like they're maturing in a way that helps them compete. And remember, it's like consistently over the course of the year, 
you know, we used to worry about like, oh, are they going to get up for each and every game? And this is sort of where we're starting to see all the pieces sort of come together. Yeah, I mean, so you've had knee and Achilles injuries in your career. Correct. Your post player, like Joel, although Joel's sort of a like sort of old school throwback post player, he yep. will drift out. Um, and you know, like he did miss the first two years of his career, and he did feel, I think, at times felt like he had to prove that he was healthy. Um, like a couple of years ago, I remember he played like he was averaging like 34 minutes a game for the first 15 or 18 games. And he didn't want to ever like slow down because he wanted to prove to everybody that he was healthy because that stigma was over his head and, and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's a real thing. I think it's something we forget because we're now, we've now seen him play four or five years of pretty healthy basketball. He's had some knee issues, but he hasn't had a major injury knock on wood. He also had a, a back issue when he was in college. Uh, before the foot problems, but like I gotta believe that you know that's a real thing, especially for him. You know we know how emotional of a player he is, but also that swings both ways. He can get down on himself, but when he's got positive emotion, like he's got right now, it can really build on itself. And I think if you've watched him play, he's really, really enjoying the way he's playing right now. Obviously, they're winning. He feels good, but he's enjoying the way that they're playing as a team and the way. He's <laughs> I'm just laughing because I'm, let me let me Google it really quick. How old is Joel Embiid? Let me find it. Age, bingo. He is 26 years old. So mm. you know what I started telling my friends recently? Because I'm 28. I'm like, you know what? Around 26, 27, you start to know who you are. You start to mature. <laughs> you start to figure things out. And I feel like that's sort of the timing for him. Like you said, those first two years sort of skewed what he probably thought in his head being super competitive are, you know, how he could be. But now at 26, now knowing that he's a corner piece of a franchise, all those things are coming together. And you're right. Like oftentimes, the number one thing that I felt when I was coming back from my <laughs> microfracture and then Achilles was I want to go back out there and prove to people I'm just as good, if not better than before. Now, you know, fingers crossed, God forbid, anything happens to him. But like, you know, managing those situations and knowing your body is something that takes a while to get to that point. And so I feel like now you're at that point at 26, years in the league, been an all-star, been in tough playoffs, you know, cried for the world to see. But now it's sort of like everything. <laughs> he, certainly, he certainly did. That, you're not just making a statement. He certainly did. <laughs> I know. But and now, I would have cried too. That was worthwhile I, for crying, the Kawhi shot. You want to hear my worst cry story? The problem is like, I would have I would have said like, yo, in the locker room or something. My worst cry story was my first time playing in the Final Four. We lost on a buzzer layup to Texas A&M in 2011 who went on to win the national title and I was in the locker room that was my first time that was the closest I'd been to like a national championship my freshman year I go back into the locker room and I am boohooing like boohooing so hard that all my teammates and my sister who's my teammate they're talking to the reporters because like we like to talk to uh, your sister who fouled out and all that type of stuff they're like she looks inconsolable. I had an ugly cry too, so I totally understand. Um, <laughs> and you learn from those. But like, <laughs> so you feel the kinship with Embiid coming back from injuries and the ugly cry. The ugly cry, hundred okay, percent. Like I've I been there. You. Everyone's been there. You just hope that normally, like people aren't documenting it. Luckily, my millions mind. watching. I see yeah. precisely. Um, but you know, I feel like he's finally, you know, figured himself out. And I love the part on the court because, like, you can see his game maturing there as well. You know, before I feel like 
Philly for a while was so pressed because everyone was so excited and Philadelphia was finally happy to be done with the process. And now, like, I feel like the the last few years, especially based on the playoffs and like giving their all and learning like those freshman, sophomore year, like hurdles that you have to go over to, you know, to be a senior that understands how to perform in those big, you know, I'm still comparing those big moments that that's sort of what this Philly team has sort of gone through. And so now looking at him maturing on the floor, like I love when he's on the block because he's more patient, he's more intentional. And you talked about his percentages. I think his like two point percentage, I mean, they're all, all percentages are higher, three point shot for higher, but like just the way he operates off of the block, finding the shooters, which it helps when you got Seth Curry shooting the ball like that, right? But um, it, it, it really just shows that he's he's really, I think, understanding his game and understanding how to find his teammates in a way that now it holds the defense more honest. It just seems like he, he's gone from, you know, my coach Tara Vanderveer, she used to always say like, you don't want to be a beginnings reader. You want to be an advanced reader of the defense, you know, sort of like those beginning books as kids. And I think he's now getting to that stage where he's advanced reader of the defense. And that's so, so scary because this man is dominant in the paint, knocks down threes, has to step back two occasionally, which is funny or fun and funny. Um, it just is all coming full circle. And now the question is, will it be sustained? Because we've seen it in spurts, like 10 games, 15 games, here or there, things in between. How will he manage it and sustain? And this is where, Brian, I think you totally get it. Like those, you don't have to feel pressure just to go out, to go out there and just play every game to prove to people that you're healthy. He just has to manage himself so that he gets the playoffs where he can be, you know, go off for those 20 or 30s, however so games and, and feel ready to compete. And I think this is where the beginning of his career starts because he's put it all together. Yeah. So I think it's interesting if you had to go with a top five MVP guys at this point, I, I haven't done looked at it really hard, but you know, you would probably have Joel in there, LeBron, who's playing great. Um, Nikola Jokic, another center, two yep. centers, maybe right off the top of your, off the top of your head, uh, Durant, Yep. Playing spectacular. I think you have talked about Donovan Mitchell, who we're going to talk about in a minute. You know, I don't want to haggle over it, but the fact that, you know, but here's a weird thing. You know, you mentioned Seth Curry, and he is, you know, he's back from COVID and he's on fire. He's shooting 56% on three. Tobias Harris is having a way improved season, shooting uh, 46% on threes. When you watch the Sixers play, you think, wow, you know, with the trades that they made and, you know, you know they brought in Danny Green as well. And Shake Milton has uh, been playing great um, as a backup point guard. He's played a couple of big games. You're like, oh, this is so different. But when you actually look at the numbers, they are basically shooting the exact same <laughs> number of threes per game and the exact same percentage. Like it's within a tenth. They're, they're 22nd in threes. In a three-point attempted, and same as they were last year, and they are within an eighth of a percentage point on their three-point overall um, uh, uh, percentage from a year ago. Actually, less than less than less than a tenth of a point. And so, what's really happening is the only the, the real difference is is that because they have the floor spread, even though they're they're really not shooting the three any differently, their personnel is different. And I think it's just opening up for Joel. He's getting about about five percent more of his shots are open as opposed to last year when he's inside ten feet. Um, you know, uh, so he's getting a little bit more uh, space, not a lot, but everything they're doing has just been working better. It's not, it's not as simple. And and you know, I think it's interesting. Ben Simmons is not having the greatest statistical season so far. He's only averaging thirteen points. He's He's had some games where he's just not really super um, 
active on offense, uh, although he's made the difference in um, in some wins. He's shooting about four times less a game than he did a year ago, um, averaging four points less a game. But you saw Joe, like both Doc Rivers and Joel have defended him. And Joel the other day, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he's oh, like, yes. I love playing with him right now. And I'm like, you do love playing with him right now, Joel. You've got a lot of space and you're playing the best basketball in your career. You love playing with all these guys right now. So um, it's working for him. I mean, this is the type. They are making Joel a focal point from the first minute that Doc was hired to be the coach. And then when, when Daryl Morey came in, they made it clear, to me at least, I mean, it wasn't like they – specifically spelled it out that, that Joel was going to be the focal point of the team. And I think he's probably pretty happy about that. Yeah. And I think for a while, you know, the world, and I'm saying the world, probably Philadelphia, you know, um, the expectations on Ben Simmons probably were way more aggressive than they needed to be. I mean, just the three point watch. I mean, that was cute and all, but realistically we know what type of player he is and that type of game, it takes a while and it takes a whole different level of confidence. And so I think now, even though his numbers are, are lower, that doesn't mean that they are less than as a team. It actually probably operates a little bit better for his comfort level. Yeah. Now, every player, every yeah. player wants to be a star, but like just naturally for what he does on the floor, you're taking less pressure. You're putting less pressure on him and he can just go out there and perform in a way that's better. And I'll lastly say that like, you're also hearing that they communicate. Cause like, remember the, the questions that we've had before with Philly is do these stars get, are they on the same page? Do they communicate? And that's always been a question mark. And now I remember hearing like, oh, we're texting and we're watching video. And it's like, oh, did you like the ball when you got it there? Like, it's all the best friends, go best friend type of conversation that these guys are having, at least when it comes to on the court, that now it just shows you that they're comfortable with their positions. And I think it, it translates. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Speaking of good defense, um, the Utah Jazz, um, the hottest team in the NBA, an eight-game win streak, Janae. Um, Donovan Mitchell has been spectacular in this win streak. Uh, Bobby Marks, our uh, cohort ESPN, tweeted out Donovan's stats during this win streak earlier today, and I'm going to go over him. He's averaging 27 points a game. 51% 51% overall shooting, 50% on three, 90% at the line. Uh, effective field goal percentage, uh, 62%. Number one in offense in that streak, number uh, three in defense. Um, uh, and the starting five during this win streak is plus 100 in 129 minutes. Um, they rank uh, – now, earlier on the pod, the last podcast, we um, – 
we're talking about what the Clippers are playing, who are you know, arguably the second hottest team in the league right now. Um, they are number one in the league in three-point percentage. Here we have the Utah Jazz, number one in the league in three-pointers made per game. They're uh, three in three-point percentage, but this is uh, these, these things are connected. Um, they average 17 threes a game. Now, the schedule has been a little favorable. They're on a long homestand right now, and they're knocking off some teams, but they also – have one in Denver and one in uh, Milwaukee on this um, on this streak, and you know Donovan Mitchell playing very very well. They're getting uh, Mike Conley is is really he's roared back to being Mike Conley. Rudy Gobert, terrific defensively. Um, Royce O'Neal, who's been a terrific three and D pickup for them, shooting forty six percent on threes and also has been terrific uh, defensively. Um, and then Boyan Bogdanovich, um, you know that's their starting five. And Boyan Bogdanovich coming back from, you know, the wrist injury. And then Jordan Clarkson, who is an early, um, you know, they re-signed him, spent a lot of money on him in the offseason. Um, re-signed him, and he's averaging 17 points early, sixth man of the year candidate. Uh, Cheney, like this team, um, really, really, really impressive so far, especially in this recent streak. And when you talk about the threes, it just reminds me of the most ultimate compliment that a team could probably ever have recently from coach Steve Kerr obviously and he said that I think something about like you guys this Utah Jazz team they're where we were like three or four years ago and I was like whoa whoa, that's a compliment basically making comparisons but when you hear uh, the way that they execute or you're actually in film and I think that's what coach Kerr was referring to like you're watching them execute you're seeing a team where you know last season was so unique and even transitioning to this season now it's it's a whole different mindset than what we normally have come to expect in the NBA and teams that return veteran players teams that have young talent that can just go off in a way that's like that youthful exuberance like we're seeing with Donovan Mitchell um last year I remember last year before when the season started before the bubble uh, I, I was at I was at Staples and I watched uh, Donovan play earlier in the year and I was like whoa he's taking that step just athletically when when he's in open court he's taking that next step he now like he moves like a star player now it's putting that together for whole seasons that that's his next challenge but now it's you're starting to see the the beginning of that and and Brian like the cool thing is um I have the same trainer as uh Rudy Gobert uh Fabrice Gutierrez out here in LA and so the last three or so years, you know, he's an he's an osteopath and physical therapist. He's like jack of all trades. He's he's amazing, an expert. And the last few years, I've been watching Rudy even manage his injuries. Remember when he came back in the playoffs and it was so impressive. But then now, you know, continued like now you have these two guys, Donovan and Rudy, sign extensions, and this is exactly what you want. You want a team that comes out of the gates focused, hungry. You know who your team is. You have a healthy uh, Bogdanovich back. You have Conley, which let me tell you, your girl went from Connecticut to L.A. My first year with the Sparks was not easy. No matter what your pedigree is, it's hard to assimilate to a new team, um, especially a team that has stars. And so I understand what Mike Conley went through. And now for him, that second year, like, okay, I know what, like, what I need to do. I know exactly who I need to like get the ball to. I know how that person cuts and moves. It just is a comfort level. And this team has that right mix of veteran savvy and youthful like stars that are in the, you know, our building that it sort of trans. And then, yeah, the execution, I mean, Quinn Snyder's system has really worked so far. And so 
the ex this is a team that I, I can see why Steve Kerr says, wow, what they're doing is exactly what we used to do. We shot the ball well, we got we moved the ball, we got, you know, we did enough on defense, we have a rim protector. You see a lot of the same qualities that those Warriors teams had, obviously different players, but it's cool because the Jazz, this is exactly what you need to do so that when postseason comes, you feel like you can step into that arena and replicate that and, and win. Yeah, so I mean, the big thing with them is, you know, it, or just in the West in general, is there a team that can crack those two LA teams at the top? And, you know, there, there was some, obviously, we, we had some headlines this week with what Shaq said to Donovan Mitchell after the game. Um, and like... In a vacuum, I kind of understand what Shaq is saying because he's he's saying is is Donovan the type of player that can lift his entire team up in a playoff series? I think that's what he's saying. And you know, last year they blew the three-one lead um, to Denver, and you know Donovan has been a little bit inconsistent, but you know in that bubble he was so good and he's been yep. so good here. Like I do think it's fair to question, you know, it's fair to question Giannis, frankly, and he's got two MVPs about whether he can lift his team up. And I think it's at some point you're questioning a guy like Donovan. Can you be that true difference maker? But you know, that's a that, and that's a conversation that will come into play later. But you can't look at what this guy is doing here in his fourth season and not say this is a bona fide star. And and is going to be around for a while, and, and we'll see where this team goes. But it's really hard to to take pot shots at him right now because yeah. you know, there's a number of guys who fit this category. You could say the same thing about Jason Tatum. Is Jason Tatum going to be that type of player? Uh, is Jamal Murray? I mean, Jamal Murray is you know kind of been right there. Is is Jokic that type of player? You know, I think he's in that category, and whether he does it or not, but you know, to me, if the Jazz can become a team that that cracks that that two L.A that LA stranglehold on the top, I think that's an incredible position to put themselves in regardless of where they end up. Yeah. I felt like I get, you know, I get Shaq and I respect him. And I feel like, you know, all of the rising generation, we grew up watching Shaq. We grew up watching Kobe. We grew up with admiration for those players. Like, and that's what set the bar for us to go out there and be that dominant but at the same time, like anybody without a championship, you can make the same argument like, well, do you have what it takes? And we're trying to figure that out. And so I was caught off guard watching it because, you know, through my Adidas family, knowing Donovan, this guy is committed, like committed to his craft. Like a loss isn't like, I, I, when did I talk to him? I forgot. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Oh, yeah. Was it in the bubble? You're, you're, uh, you're Adidas uh, pals, right? You and yes. Donovan? We're all team Adidas, so we do a lot of yeah. events stuff together he came to my game when we played in New York and that's where we started talking and um like I remember I forgot which game in the bubble where he goes for 50 right and I shoot him a text after I'm like yo like that's wow they lost though and I was and I was like whoa that was wild he was like doesn't matter like we lost he it like that's where he is mentally like I will do whatever it takes for this team to win I will improve you know so much he's so committed the way you'd want like you said a star to be committed and so I felt like in that moment it just made me go like dang like uh, he's doing what he needs to do until you produce a ring maybe that's it but uh and it's not just you know Donovan it was also you know their shots at Gobert as well and I feel like those are unfair just because not every player is built the same especially at the center position and this man has literally come from you know uh, France and has a very unique, powerful story and has persevered despite everyone's expectations so much so that he got that huge extension. And yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's done just fine. <laughs> I know he's, he's done just fine. So yeah, whenever, you know, maybe it's just the, 105 million. 
Thank you. And maybe it's just the athlete like in me that sort of gets defensive because I know how committed, like I'm in the gym watching Rudy Gobert, like on, you know, in between game days, not now, this is pre-COVID y'all, <laughs> but like working on his technique and his movement and like things that people probably, you think of, you think of LeBron James doing, you know, like he's in there committed to making sure he's healthy. So these guys are like, if you're a jazz fan, you have to be happy knowing that the work ethic of these stars is there. And then on top of it, your team is rounding out into healthy form. You have a system that is working and they, it just is a beautiful thing to see the, you know, everything sort of gel in a way that the trends are all heading the right direction. Like you said, the question though is, can they knock off the LAs? That is going to be interesting, but you, it doesn't hurt to be a Denver, you know, getting to a position where people didn't see and then seeing if you can capitalize on those moments. You never know which player on which team, you know, unfortunately it was Paul George last year where maybe, you know, a struggle can mean an opportunity for an opponent. So I think that's the whole stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. And right now the Utah jazz embody that. Yeah. So they don't play the Clippers and Lakers for a while, but uh, in mid February, they go to LA for a little two pack uh, Clippers and Lakers. And it'll be interesting to see where they are in, you know, it's, it's a little under a month from now. So like in three weeks where they are, and that'll be a good, reckoning are the jazz you know you know are they still shooting the three well are they still healthy and all that stuff is donovan still playing well i'm looking forward um to that for sure that'll be a good test for them all right chanae thank you so much for joining us i know that you're tired and busy getting ready for another uh, week <laughs> of doing all the all the stuff that you've got to do so thank you so much and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon always and i look forward to more of your movie recommendations now let's talk about the play of the week the pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class. They have those two. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Joining me now is Lisa Robinson. Lisa Robinson is a special person to me. She's a special person to a lot of people. Now you may say, well, who is Lisa Robinson? Because, you know, so if you know who she is, bravo on you, but she has been a music journalist for 40 years at Vanity Fair and other places, an author. Where else have you written? New York Post, Lisa, where else? Yeah, I've been at Vanity Fair for 20 years. Prior to that, I was at the New York Post for about 20 years. And I had a syndicator column, New York Times Syndicate. I was the American editor of the New Music Express in England. 
my husband and I edited several rock magazines, Hit Parader, Rock Scene. I had a column in Cream. I had syndicated radio shows, cable TV shows prior to MTV. So I've been covering the music scene for, wow, I would say since 1973 when I went on tour with Led Zeppelin. That's right. Well, my, one of my favorite stories about you, well, you've, well, we could talk about music forever. This is an NBA podcast. So we right. talk about the NBA. You are a huge, you're born and raised in Manhattan. You are a huge NBA fan. This is how we got huge. to know each other. It's really gotten to the point where it's an obsession. I mean, maybe because I don't have to write about it and I don't have to go to the games. Whereas music, I've done it for so long that I don't get that excited about a concert anymore unless it's someone I really love. Like if Jay were performing when he opened um, Webster Hall and I was hanging out all night with World Wide West, who I adore. But I am a very, very long-suffering Knicks fan. To me, the Knicks are the team of the town. I don't care what happens with the New Jersey Nets, as I call them. And um, we can talk about Brooklyn and all of that if you want. But... When I heard the West was coming to the Knicks, I thought, this is great because he knows everyone and everyone knows him and he's connected and this will be great for the Knicks. And it didn't totally work out that way yet, but I think give them time. I love the way they're playing. I think they're competitive. They're fun to watch. And um, I'm just sorry I can't go to the garden. I mean, I just can't even count thousands of times I've been to the garden. I mean, there were times before they renovated it that I knew where every single seat was because when I toured with the Stones in 75, I was in charge of VIP tickets. So I had to decide who would sit where. So I know I know <laughs> that place like the back of my hand. I just, I love the garden. I don't care. I've been there in bad times. I hope to be there in better, good times. Um, and to me, there's no comparison between Barclays and Madison Square Garden. It's quite, it's just that simple. Barclays to me, with all due respect, is a gray basement. Madison Square Garden is a temple. That's how I feel about it. Well, they're very different places. Uh, they have very different teams. You know, the thing about Jim Dolan, when you talk to people that work for him, not everybody, but a lot of people say <coughs> what you do. They, they say that he's can be very warm and loyal. Uh, it's just that there have been times when, you know, he's involved in basketball decisions and directed things that haven't worked out. And yeah, see, I'm not so sure. I mean, I don't know about that, but I'm not so sure that he, I don't know. I can't really speak to that. I'm not in those meetings. I'm not in those rooms. I'm just a fan and a friend. Not, right. And um, I, seen all sorts of different people come and go there you know I was there when Dan Phoney was there and they played no defense there I was there <laughs> that is what you call when, Mike D'Antoni you call I him. call Mike D'Antoni Dan Phoney yes I never liked him I'm very open about it I never met him I just never liked he a, him he is a great guy but say he's not a good defensive coach is is a fair assessment over his career many people have told me he's a great guy I don't know that because I don't know him. So I plead the fifth there. I just thought that he was dining out on Steve Nash for years. 
And now he's still dining out on Steve Nash. I mean, I just am not a fan of the way his teams have played. And as far as the New Jersey Nets, you know, I love Charles Barkley the other night. I know it's a different network, but That's every okay. two minutes he kept saying, oops, Kyrie just scored again. Whoops, Kyrie just scored again. So, you know, I have very, very strong feelings about the NBA. I've become friends with Adam, who I love, Adam Silver. I have become friendly with Chris Paul. I have interviewed LeBron briefly when he produced about, Two Chains uh, album. About Two Chains, which, by the way, one of my craziest moments in music, and I, not that I have many, certainly not comparable to you. Um, at the finals a few years ago in Cleveland, I'm walking through the hallway after the game, and this guy calls me over and says, Hey, man. I say, how's it going? He goes, how are you doing two chains? I mean, I, I knew of two chains. I didn't know any of his music. I sat there outside the Cavs locker room and talked to two chains for like 15 minutes. He really knows the game. He really, really oh, knows yeah. the game. Well, he played basketball also. I mean, he's so tall and he's, yeah, he's really smart. I mean, you know, I think here's the thing. I think so many rappers, just like so many basketball players get a really bad, pardon the pun, rap, um, because people think they're dumb. I mean, I know so many musicians, so many rappers, so many basketball players, and I could sit, I mean, at the Vanity Fair Oscar party last year, I talked to Kyle Kuzma and Anthony Davis for like 20 minutes, both of whom told me that they thought they might be coming to the Knicks. I almost died. I mean, Kyle's, uh, Kuzma was kind of implying that Leon was his guy. So I thought, oh, maybe he'll come. And he said, well, a couple of years. And then when I went over to say, to be introduced to AD, because he was with Rich Paul, who I know. And I said, why can't you come to the Knicks, please? I've seen you and do this. Said, you you just go straight to them and say, why don't you play for the Knicks? This is like yes. what Spike probably does as well. Why don't oh, well, you come play Spike, for the Knicks? Well, Spike has told me, and it's one of my favorite lines ever, you know, the most important thing a father can tell his son is to hate all Boston teams. <laughs> and I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, with all due respect to Bill Simmons, I have always hated the Celtics. I have always hated Miami, except actually in LeBron's second year there, I was rooting for them. Um, however, yeah, I just went up to him because he was standing with Rich. I knew Rich. So I looked up at AD and I said, do you ever think of coming to the Knicks? And he said, you know, I thought I was going to go there last year, but they wouldn't trade for me. That's right. And I said, what? I said, I would have traded the entire team. I was so incensed. That's, that's what crazy. the Lakers did. They traded everybody but LeBron for him, and the Knicks didn't do that. I know. Boston was um, interested. He, he didn't want to go to Boston. He was willing to go to the Knicks. Of course, he wanted to go to the Lakers, but he would have been happy to go to the Knicks, and the Knicks weren't willing to. You know, the Knicks wanted to tr take R.J. Barrett. The Lakers traded their draft pick and everything, a bunch of other stuff for him. So. Well, you know, the thing is, I kept hearing all these rumors. I mean, I knew Rich Kleinman from Rock Nation when he was an agent there. and Kevin Durant's agent. 
Yeah. Um, do we call him that now still? Well, he's a main agent is, a you know, he probably would say he's much more than an agent. He's a. He always told me he was Kevin Durant's business partner. Yes, that's correct. I don't know that I would say that. Let him say that. The point is, he definitely misled the Knicks from what I was told. Because everybody really thought KD was coming to the Knicks. And Rich was a famous Knicks fan. And there were a lot of meetings. And I heard all sorts of rumors. Now these are rumors, allegedly, allegedly, like these is a narrow here, allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> that Rich was implying that he could bring KD there and he wanted a big job there. But I don't know this from anyone officially. Well, you're not the first person to ever say this. He tweeted yeah. that he wanted to run the Knicks and the Knicks ended up hiring an agent. It just wasn't him. Um you know, I think the one of the most fascinating things of this entire era, and who knows how it'll work out, is that with all the choices that Kevin had, and he had, he could have stayed with the with the Warriors, he could have gone to the to the Lakers, he could have gone to the Clippers with Kawhi, he could have gone to the Knicks with another player, that he chose Kyrie when he had other options, and he chose Brooklyn. Now, if they're holding a gold trophy, Lisa, in a few months or in a year. It could be a very beautiful story, and he was the person to raise up the Brooklyn Nets, and he will always be remembered that. And you know, it, it could work out with now that they have Harden. But I was surprised that that was the marriage that he elected to get into. And he's bad. He's bad mouthed the Knicks, which obviously probably hasn't made you or other Knicks fans happy. But he's bad. Well, it was just the it was so dumb the way he did it. Frankly, I mean. I'm not saying he's dumb. I'm just saying that it was like, oh, the Knicks are not the cool thing now. This whole idea that Brooklyn is the cool thing. I mean, I'm sorry. I've lived in New York my entire life. New York is Manhattan. If you are in Brooklyn and you're going into Manhattan, everybody, even people who live there, still say, I'm going into the city. I'm telling you, they do. And Brooklyn is incredibly groovy now with all the restaurants. And I have many friends who live there. But for me, at my advanced age, Brooklyn was the place that my father had to get out of. And as a child, it was a place for my old relatives and funerals, literally. That's what it was. And I still, to this day, make jokes about it. Um, if I drive over the bridge, I think I have to bring my passport and change money. And it's easier for me to get to Atlanta than to go to Brooklyn. As far as James Harden, speaking of Atlanta, I don't know that there's enough uh, gentlemen's clubs here for him. And as far as what's going on with the Nets now, I mean, honestly, look, Brian, you know, I texted this to you. I do not understand how a player who is making that much money, no matter how much he is fined, no matter how socially um, committed he is, can just take off from his job for two weeks. I just think we were all upset about January 6th. You know, everybody was upset. Everybody was devastated about the summer and George Floyd. And I mean, it's not just the summer, it's years and years and years of this injustice. And Maya Moore stopped playing basketball so she could devote herself to social justice. And I'm not saying it. Look, it's very nice that Kyrie bought George Floyd's family a house. I frankly am a bigger fan of people who are a little more anonymous about their contributions, but maybe that will encourage more people to 
give money to good causes. I'm by no means putting it down. It's just that I am not a fan. I think ever since the earth is flat, I just thought, huh? I mean, <laughs> something's off here. Just well, and you've spent your whole life around eccentric folks. Uh you know, so he's an eccentric guy. I will say that his position on personal reasons, which he is elected not to explain, which is his right, his position on that took a blow when he was at this family birthday party. Yes. Well, let me ask you something, because honestly, I don't know of a musician who would not show up at a concert when there's 20,000 people who paid money to see them and say, oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't come because of personal reasons. I mean, they would have canceled the game. Now, granted, the, the concert, sorry. Granted, it's not the same thing, and I shouldn't really get into this too deeply, but the family birthday party is one thing, if we're sure it was on that day. Um, yeah, they're pretty sure. They <laughs> It cost him $900,000 in fines. So I know, but think they're about pretty it. How, sure. much does, how much does he make? I mean, not over thirty, over, over thirty million. I mean, yes, okay, I so know that's like yeah. nine dollars to me. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's like, anyway, that's beside the point. I think he's a brilliant basketball player. I don't think he's as smart as he thinks he is, and he reminds me in many ways of somebody who I have been incredibly friendly with in the past, who also can be very erratic and eccentric, and that's Kanye, and who's not as smart as he thinks he is sometimes, but. You know, I just, look, I watch ESPN all the time. You know this. I mean, it's crazy. I'm obsessed with this. I so, could probably name you the starting five of most of the 30 teams. Yes, probably. I know. You're, and you stay up until 4 a.m. every night. So yes, because I DVR. Your... Well, I have NBA League Pass, but I also DVR the sh the games. So the ones I miss, I watch. I mean, this... it's ridiculous. Yes, you, you, you should probably be a full-time analyst. So um, you, I remember you, you've talked to me about the experience of going to a Knicks game with Jay-Z. Yeah, you know, actually, I think I may have, as a kid, I remember being in a bar once. Well, when I say a kid, I mean, I was a teenager, but I would sneak into bars. And Walt Frazier once walked in and he was full Clyde gear and the hat and the whole 70s kind of look. And I was just blown away because I was kind of a Knicks fan then when they were good, um, but I never went to the garden and I only went to the garden for concerts. But then in the 90s, Jay took me to a game. We had never met and Lior Cohn, who was the president of the record company at the time, said, you've got to meet Jay-Z, because I was at Vanity Fair, and the magazine was not covering music until I got there, and they were not covering hip-hop, particularly at that time, and I was adamant that this was going to change. So anyway, I went to meet him. I met him up at the Def Jam offices. We then went to a Knicks game. It was, I'll never forget this. It was Nixon Dallas. I think Don Nelson was the coach at the time, Dallas. I don't remember who was the coach at the Knicks. Um, but they didn't have courtside tickets ready as we walked in. So we hung out backstage and I said, Jay, I don't care where I sit. Why don't we just go sit in the second row? And he went, no, we're only <laughs> sitting courtside. <laughs> right. And so I realized from that, experience 
that he absolutely had a very specific intent to be treated a certain way with a certain respect. And he was not going to sit at a basketball game unless he was courtside. And he was completely correct. And it's the way I've always been in music with laminated all access passes. I won't go to a concert anymore if I don't get that. And uh, because, you know, you're working in a way. And anyway, I remember then we went to Noble afterwards for dinner and we met Steve Stout there. And from then on, every time I saw him, I would talk to him about basketball. And one year with the draft, oh, it killed me because Steph Curry, I was such a fan of his from Davidson. And he went number seven to Golden State. Oh, we yes. had the eighth. We, yeah, we had oh, the yes. eighth pick. Oh, yes. And I was just hoping, please, please, please let him come to the And of course, no. But one year I said to Jay, you know, we really could get the number one pick. And he went, no, the Knicks are not that lucky. And I'll never forget it because he's always been right every single time. Even if we had the eighth pick or the fourth pick, you know, we never got the number one pick. That kid of, what's his name, Dan Gilbert, got it three years in a row. <laughs> and then, I don't know, whoever else, but it was never us. But Jay anyway, helped craft who the Brooklyn Nets are. I mean, he's no longer involved with them. But No, you know. he's not involved. And he wasn't, I mean, he was involved in bringing them there. It's his home. He's from Brooklyn. And he had a lot to do with the look and the feel of the place. And he had his amazing suite called The Vault. And, you know, um, I still just never liked Barclays. It wasn't the garden. However, I do remember being at a Kanye screening of a video one night and Jay and Beyonce were there. And I think Kevin Durant, what year did he leave Seattle? And then he went to OKC, I don't remember. Yeah, that would have been like 2008. Okay, so it was around that time, maybe. I think it was before he went to OKC. And I went up to Jay and I said, you know who's gonna be great? Kevin Durant. I ruined the day. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yes, I told him that. And he said, oh, yeah, he's really good. And then every time I saw Jay after that, I said, remember I told you about Kevin Durant? And he said, well, what do you think? I didn't know who he was. <laughs> he was said, he was the number two pick. He wasn't like the 35th pick. He was well known. No, I know that. But still, you know, it's like Jay and many, many. Look, when I did my Kendrick cover story, I talked to DeMar DeRozan. I talked to Russell Westbrook. I talked to LeBron. I mean, I got quotes from them about coming from the same kind of neighborhood that Kendrick came from and how hard it was to get out of there. And I remember when I did the Jay-Z cover story, I went to the Marcy Projects. Jay didn't want to go back there with me for the story because he had already done that with Oprah and he wanted to do everything different. And I went myself, though, and I sat there just by myself for like three hours, sort of soaking up the atmosphere, much in the same way that I, when I did a story on Eminem, I went to his house, his old house near Eight Mile and uh, just sat and stared at the house just to get, I mean, even if I ended up writing one paragraph, I wanted to see that. And I was sorry with Kendrick that I never went to Compton, but um when I went to the Marcy Projects, you know, you saw a couple of old ladies sitting on a bench gossiping. You saw a bunch of kids and sort of probably dealing drugs on the corner. You saw a little boy driving around on a bicycle. 
And I thought, what it took for Jay to get out of there. And, you know, whatever his past was, what he's done with his life, what LeBron's done with his life, Russell Westbrook, DeMar DeRozan, you know, I've heard all these stories and I'm just like, yes, there's talent, but there are plenty of talented people that you never hear from. And that combination of drive, I mean, Damian Lillard, when he told me he came from a rough neighborhood, I said, wait a minute, you live in Portland. He said, I grew up in Oakland. It mm-hmm. was a rough neighborhood. So, you know, when he- And what do you think her, of Dame Dalek? What do you think of Dame, the uh, music artist? I love him. I actually wanted to interview him because I think when I first met him, I was at the All-Star Game in Charlotte. What was that, two yeah. years ago? Or, yeah, we, when and, we sat on All-Star Saturday night, we sat together. Yes. For for some of yes. the, the some of the dunk contest or whatever. I don't remember what it yeah. was. Yeah. Well, I met I just walked right up to him after the um, panel he was on. Adam had wanted me to come to the panel. I said, It's eight in the morning. I can't <laughs> I remember eight. I remember this. Yes, it's you there's no use texting you before noon and really before like three. Or calling me before noon. I don't even turn the phone on. At any rate, so um, no, noon is fine, New York time. That's okay. Uh, And I have an office, and my assistant is in the office at 11, so she can take messages. At any rate, um, I just walked, but I did go to the panel with the players because Sue Bird was on it, and Dane was on it, and I don't remember who else, but I do remember just walking right up to him afterwards. Never have met him. And I said, I'm Lisa Robinson. I'm the music editor of Vanity Fair. And, you know, I just want to tell you, I saw Lonzo Ball rap on some show. And he can't rap, but you can rap. So, and of course, his eyes lit up. And I said, could we please talk someday and do something? And it took like two years. But I finally did do a very lengthy interview with him over the summer, actually during the protests, during the horrible time of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and we talked about politics and we talked about music, and it's still probably up on the Vanity Fair website somewhere. It is. But I do think he can rap. I think he's talented. I think he's good. And um, we text each other a lot. I text him after Portland games, like on a night when he gets 40 points, or if he beats a team I don't like, of which there are many. Um, I don't even know what it is. I don't like when they stack the deck. I don't yeah. like, I didn't like when LeBron went to Miami the first year because of course, again, there was that stupid, I'm taking my talents to South Beach press conference that I know he regrets, but because he did it. But you, so, so, but here's the thing though, you were also reacting to the fact that he told the Knicks no. No, we thought he might be coming to the Knicks because he did it at the Boys and Girls Club I in Greenwich, know. Connecticut. It was so close to the Knicks, you know? I know. But when I did interview LeBron briefly for the Two Chains album at the All-Star Game in Charlotte, yeah, it was the same year. I mean, Brian, you know him better than anybody, but he walked in the room and it's like, you don't realize how big this man is until he walks in the room and the charisma precedes him just as much as like when Mick Jagger walked into a room, people were gaga, you know, um, 
it's just when Lady Gaga walked into the Beverly Hills Hotel bungalow when I first interviewed her and she was encased in black lace from head to toe, totally covered her face, everything. And I write about this in my book on women. Um, it was like seeing an apparition. So I- Which is called, Nobody Ever Asked Me About the Girls. I know you mentioned you. it earlier. Also, she wrote a book like five or six years ago uh, called There Goes Gravity, A Life in Rock and Roll, which is after an Eminem lyric. Yeah, lose yourself. That's right. And when I told him, I saw him backstage at Saturday. Well, let me just say one more thing about LeBron. Um, I was very comfortable with LeBron because I know how much he likes music. And so we just started talking about music. And I showed him a picture of me with an 11-year-old Michael Jackson. He went, wow, you must have a lot of stories. And I said, yeah. And if you ever would do that cover story with me for Vanity Fair that I've been chasing for three years, I will tell you all of them. Um, but he was just great. It was comfortable to talk to him, but he was a massive presence. And that's now how I feel in a way. I have such admiration for so many basketball players who came out of horrible, horrible conditions and managed to stay focused and put their talents to good use. But what I was saying about stacked teams, Golden State Warriors, I went insane. When Katie <laughs> went there, I was like Stephen A. I really was. I thought it was just a <laughs> move. I hated it and I hated them. And I kind of feel a little bit the same way about the New Jersey Nets now. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I mean, James Horton. But yet, had the, like, Knicks, had the Knicks, of, yes, had oh. the Knicks gotten Kyrie and and KD or KD and Kawhi or something like that, yeah, I don't know if you'd feel that way because that's your team. That's probably correct. I probably <laughs> would have been thrilled. So I'm a phony about that. On the other hand, <laughs> James Harden isn't he like supposed to be one of the greatest shooters of all time or this year well, or this he, decade? And how? <laughs> He got nine points the other night. Well, you know, got right like now, 38 or something. Right now, Harden is not shooting much at all. I don't know if anybody, everybody's talking about their defense, which is a problem, but Harden is very, very clearly yielding to Kyrie. And I'm just going to tell you that yielding to Kyrie will never do because Kyrie will, if you give an inch, inch, he'll take a foot. And Kyrie is like, I'm going to come in here and establish myself. And look, this has only been three games they've played together, but I'm telling you, Harden is yielding a lot to try to fit in with Kyrie and Kyrie will take Kyrie will take no matter, you know, no matter what, but he will really take if you're yielding to him. And um, that's going to well, end up having also, to get worked out. Everything that I saw the entire week when Harden came to the New Jersey Nets <laughs> was it's KD's team. Harden will be second, and then Kyrie is the third. And I can just imagine that that must have, whether he claims that he listens to this stuff or not, it is complete nonsense. They all listen to it or someone tells them. And I just think that must have driven him crazy because he's ridiculous. He's taking more shots than KD or James Harden. That can't last. I am waiting for the whole thing to implode. Maybe it won't. You know, maybe there'll be a nice um, parade down Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn at some point. 
uh, we'll see. You know, it remains to be to be continued. All right. Well, we are out of time. We will bring you back and we can talk to you longer. You are. I would love that, Brian. I mean, you are a treasure. Thank you. So are you. And I would Um, love to come back and talk to you anytime. Let's talk during the playoffs. Let's talk during the finals. Let's see where we are. I mean, I'm a huge Kawhi fan also, by the way. And um, I don't know. There's a lot of teams I'm rooting for this year. But I'm happy at least to see my Knicks being a little competitive. What are they, 500 now? Is it something like that? Well, they're nine, they're, eight, or nine. They or... are doing. They are. I'm going to be honest with you. They're probably winning too much. I know this is not what anybody wants to hear. They really need to get another high draft pick. They should really lose a lot more. But no. But don't say that. That's so tacky. I hate I that know. whole idea of tanking. Well, People can't really. Do they really do that? They really. I mean, how do those guys go out? Every, this is what I'd love to really interview some of them about. How do they go out every night and play and put it all out there? Well, they don't. When they, somebody says to them, "We don't want to win." Well, this is a very common misperception. The players themselves and the coaches don't tank. The tanking is done by the front office. By you know, for example. The Knicks should probably seriously consider trading Julius Randle, who has never played better in his life. What? I, I know that this is what you'd say as a Knicks fan, but they probably should consider doing it. Because all these players that you're talking about, like these three guys that the Nets have, Harden, Durant, and Kyrie, they're all top three picks. LeBron, number one pick. You know, Curry did flip to seven, but, you know, right now the Knicks would be borderline out of that spot. So... Yeah, but Brian, those are all the guys we're talking about are older, okay? I mean, there's a new generation of stars coming up. And, I mean, just look at Frederick Wiseman, boy, but that was lucky. They got that pick. But, I mean, look at, isn't that his name, Frederick? Yeah, I think. James, James Wiseman. James Wiseman, I'm sorry. Okay, let's they And they kind of tanked, you know, to get that pick. No, they didn't tank. They were all injured. Well, yeah, I mean, but they, they brought Curry back like way, way. I mean, you know, like who knows what would happen. He was just coming well, back. Well, I don't know. The next time we talk, I want you to explain to me the term load management. Because <laughs> I know it means resting. I know it means saving people for important games. But where did the term load management? It's like take a load off Mary or something. I mean, I don't get it. I'm serious. Uh, uh, okay, all right. we, anyway. We're out of time. All right. When you want more of Lisa, which you certainly will after this interview, it exists out there, both in her books and her stories and there's stuff on YouTube. So you should check it out. We're going to have her back. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective. Thank you to Troy, our producer, put this together. Thank you, Lisa. We'll talk to you soon. I'll text you soon. Thank you. Thank you, you Brian. Stay safe. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.